Welcome to the listener's commentary on the New Testament. Your guide is pastor and theologian Dr. John Whitaker, and the heart behind these studies is to help you better understand the text of Scripture so you can more fully live it out. It's all about helping you learn and live the Bible. Here is the book of Luke. Welcome to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Luke. My name is John Whitaker, and the listener's commentary is aimed at helping you study the Bible for yourself so you can learn it deeply and live it out in your everyday life. And it's made possible by a team of ministry partners who donate generously so that we can provide this crowdfunded Bible teaching resource and If you want to join that team of ministry partners, you can do so by donating at worldfamilymissions.org slash John Whitaker. I will put a link to that down below. All right, here in this session, we want to give an introduction to Luke's gospel so that we have at least a sense of how this gospel is put together and how this gospel functions and really its unique contribution within the uh, four gospels itself. And so, Uh, The Gospel of Luke is part one of a two-volume work, Luke and Acts. And those two volumes are both written by the same author, Luke. And both are addressed to the same man, Theophilus. We'll talk about who that is in a second. And together, Luke and Acts tell the beginnings of God's saving work through Jesus the Messiah the Gospel of Luke, and the spread of that saving work through the apostles and the early church. That's the book of Acts. And if you haven't listened to the intro to the Gospels series yet, you really should go back and do that because it will help you grasp what a gospel is, how the gospels function, and thus will really help set up how you should read the gospel of Luke. In short, here's just a couple of little things from that that would be helpful to you. We need to remember that Uh, The word gospel simply means good news, and so when you're reading a gospel, when you're reading Luke's gospel, you're reading Luke's presentation of the news, specifically the news of what God has achieved in the world through his Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so Luke's gospel is news about God's saving work in and through Jesus. And uh, another important detail about how the Gospels function is, as you read a Gospel, as you read Luke's Gospel, you need to pay attention to two dimensions. The first dimension is the historical dimension, the world of Jesus, the world of first century Israel, uh, the culture of that world, and what happened in the story. So we need to make sure we pay attention to that historical dimension, the what happened dimension. And we need to pay attention to the literary dimension, the why is Luke telling us what happened in this way dimension. That's the literary dimension. Why why is Luke telling me this story at this point? How does it connect to the preceding stories and the following stories? And what is he saying by telling me this story in the context of his whole gospel? The literary dimension. So as you read Luke's gospel, keep in mind the historical dimension and the literary dimension. All right, with that, let's give an actual introduction then to the Gospel of Luke. Who is Luke? Well, as with all of the Gospels, technically, Luke's Gospel is anonymous, right? Luke's name never appears in the introduction or the conclusion saying, hey, I, Luke, wrote this Gospel. But all the evidence from the earliest sources in the earliest times attributes it to Luke. 
Uh, and Luke was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. He's only mentioned by name in three places in the New Testament, in Colossians 4.14, in Philemon 24, and in 2 Timothy 4.11. Those are the three places Luke's name is given. Um, and we see in those places his connection with the Apostle Paul, his relationship with him, that he was a traveling companion of Paul, that he was involved in Paul's ministry in some way. As best as we can tell, Luke was a Gentile because in Colossians 4, he's listed among a group of Gentiles. And Colossians 4.14 tells us that he was a physician, a doctor. And that explains really the high literary caliber we see in both Luke and in Acts. And so Luke was a Gentile and a doctor and a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. In fact, we notice in the book of Acts, we'll note this when we get to the commentary here, that beginning on Paul's second missionary journey, the pronouns in the book of Acts shift from they and them to we and us. And it's in this way that the author of the book of Acts indicates for us that all of a sudden he joined Paul's team. And he was with Paul for the events of those sections in the book of Acts where the pronouns are we and us. And, and so Luke traveled with Paul for parts of his second missionary journey. And then at other points for the book of Acts, we'll know that as well. And based on Colossians 4, which was written during Paul's imprisonment, Luke was with Paul during his Roman imprisonment. And so Luke is a close companion of the Apostle Paul, deeply involved in his ministry. And the next important question in the introduction to Luke's gospel is, when did Luke write Luke and Acts? And we don't know 100% for sure, if we're being honest. I suspect that Luke wrote them in the early 60s. The story of Acts ends with Paul still under arrest in Rome around the year 62. So unless Luke just decided to end his book there and not record what happened to Paul, or what Paul did after his release from that imprisonment, it seems likely that Paul is still in prison when Luke writes, which would mean Luke wrote this in 61 or 62. It's true that some scholars push for a later date, but as best as I can understand it, that's based on assumptions of when the other Gospels were written, um, and those assumptions are just that. They're assumptions. There's just a lot we don't know about exactly when the books of the New Testament were written. And so just looking at the internal evidence within Luke and Acts, it seems like Luke's gospel written before Acts, and then Acts itself had to be written before the year 62 while Paul is still in prison in Rome. Now, Luke and Acts are originally addressed to someone by the name of Theophilus, right? You read Luke chapter 1 and Acts chapter 1, and the, the uh, really the preface, the proscript to those two sections of the books both mention a person by the name of Theophilus. The name simply means lover of God. It was actually a fairly common Greek name. Um, and most likely, Theophilus is a wealthy man who served as a patron to underwrite the cost of producing the books. Because any creative work has cost involved in it, and it required somebody to help underwrite that cost. And so 
producing books in the ancient world was very difficult, very expensive. And so more than likely, our best guess is Theophilus is somebody who maybe commissioned the book and offered to underwrite Luke's cost of researching and producing the books of Luke and Acts. That's probably who Theophilus was. Now, two big distinctives of Luke's gospel. Here's two big things to pay attention to as you read that really differentiate Luke from the other two. Not that the other two gospels, the other two synoptic gospels, Matthew and Mark, as well as John, and not that those other gospels don't have these things in them. It's just Luke emphasizes this more than the others. And so these sort of are some of Luke's emphases in his gospel. The first one is, the marginalized. Luke has more of an emphasis on the marginalized and the lower classes and people on the fringes of society than any of the other Gospels. And his intent by that is to show that all people have a place in God's kingdom. He begins his portrayal of Jesus' ministry as good news to the poor in 418. And the poor in the Bible refers not just to the financially poor, but to all of those who are far from God and far from his people. And so Jesus' ministry is couched as good news for those who are far off and who are lowly and who are downcast and who are uh, uh, on the fringes of or even far from God's people. Jesus' ministry is good news for the poor. Luke tells us in 1910 that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Again, the lost are all of those who are apart from God and God's purposes and God's plans. Uh, when you read Luke's gospel, you'll notice that he welcomes all kinds of people into the kingdom, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Women are emphasized in Luke's gospel. Uh, Luke tells us the story of Jesus' birth, uh, and he tells us the story of John the Baptist's birth, mentioning Elizabeth and Mary and their faith and their faithfulness. Luke is the one who tells us the story of the sinner woman in Luke chapter 7 and how she comes and cries at Jesus' feet and how Jesus defended her honor uh, in the presence of a religious leader's home, uh, really upending social norms and social propriety to defend this particular woman who is lost and lowly. Uh, Luke mentions women as being part of Jesus' traveling companions and Luke has an emphasis on children and how important children are to the kingdom. Luke alone includes stories, the stories of the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son, the rich man and Lazarus, the Pharisee and the publican. Those are all uh, uh, found only in Luke's gospel. And the reason is because Luke has a strong emphasis on the marginalized and those who were viewed as uh, outside or who were viewed lowly or who in some sense were marginalized among God's people. So that's one of the big dis distinctives of Luke's gospel. The second distinctive that stands out is the Holy Spirit. There are more references to the Holy Spirit in Luke than in Matthew and Mark combined. A number of people are powered by the Holy Spirit for their role in God's saving work. John the Baptist is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The birth of Jesus through Mary is brought about by the Holy Spirit. Simeon speaks by the Spirit. Jesus' ministry itself is said to be powered by the Spirit. He's conceived by the Spirit. He's baptized and the Spirit comes upon him. He's led into the wilderness by the Spirit. He begins his ministry 
Luke tells us, in the power of the Spirit. This theme of the Spirit actually continues from Luke's gospel into Acts, where the entire progress of the gospel uh, in in the book of Acts, among the early church, is actually powered by the Spirit, and Acts itself has a very strong emphasis on the Spirit. And so Luke wants us to realize that the Spirit has a powerful and important role in moving God's salvation purposes forward in and through Jesus and in and through the church. And so there's this distinctive emphasis on the Holy Spirit in Luke's gospel. All right, now as Luke begins his gospel in the first four verses, he actually tells us how he put the gospel together. He tells us his process, his sources, and his approach to composing the gospel. And it's instructive to us and it's helpful to us to hear this. It, it reminds us that this is rooted in history. It's rooted in testimony. It's news of what happened. Luke sounds very much like a journalist researching a major human interest story that he wants to put together for us. Listen to what he says. Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4, Luke writes, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us. So Luke highlights right there in verse 1 that he's not alone in this, that others have sought to put together accounts of Jesus's life. That's what he means by the things accomplished among us, the things accomplished among us in and through Jesus and God's saving work connected to him. In fact, Luke goes on in verse 2 to say these these accounts about Jesus and what God did through him were handed down to us from eyewitnesses. Listen to verse 2. He says, just as they were handed down, that phrase handed down was actually a technical word, an official word for a passing on of oral tradition, which in Western cultural context, we hear that we're like, oh, that is so unreliable. But that word handed down actually refers to a formalized, serious, robust process, which made sure they were passed on accurately. You just weren't allowed to twist and manipulate and change the story if you were actually going to formally and officially pass on the story. So these accounts were handed down to us, Luke says, catch this, by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And so many people have taken to put together an account. Those accounts came from eyewitnesses. And so Luke is actually claiming, uh, and he not for himself alone, but for uh, the other gospels as well, he's claiming eyewitness testimony uh, that this was received from people who saw it, who heard it, who were there. And so he's he's researched this. He's listened to eyewitnesses. He's got his facts from them. And so this was passed on from the beginning, meaning from the beginning of the story of Jesus. In Luke's case, that begins with John the Baptist, Jesus' birth, and onward. So from the very beginning of Jesus' story, these accounts were passed on by eyewitnesses. Since others have undertaken to compile an account, verse 3, Luke says, it seemed fitting for me as well. Having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke is telling us, I, like a good scholar, like the doctor that he is, 
facts are important, research is important, and so he investigated everything carefully. He talked to eyewitnesses, he interviewed people that were there, he researched the stories, he got his facts straight, and then he compiled his account uh, of the story of Jesus. He says he wanted to write it out in consecutive order. That doesn't mean he's going in um, the exact order of events, all right? It, what he means is he's doing it in an orderly fashion. I All I did was put this together in as orderly a fashion as I could that made sense for trying to tell the story of Jesus in an effective way. And so he he's providing a well-investigated, well-researched uh, historical account based on eyewitness testimony in an orderly fashion for he says, for you, most excellent Theophilus, that patron of the book who underwrote the cost, so that, verse 4, you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. And Luke has emphasized in these first four verses how important it was for him to get the facts straight, to get the story right. And so he researched it. He, he talked to eyewitnesses. He made sure he had his facts straight because he wants... Theophilus, and by extension, all readers of his gospel to know the exact truth about the things we have been taught. And implied in those words is a story, a story of Luke investigating all of this and then pulling this together. And so here's, here's sort of how I picture what I think happened. Luke is traveling with Paul as at the end of Paul's third missionary journey as Paul travels to Jerusalem to um, bring an offering to the Jerusalem church. And Paul arrives in Jerusalem. He delivers his funds, his gift from all his Gentile churches to their fellow Christians in Jerusalem. And a long story short, you can read about it in Acts chapter 20 and 21. When Paul arrives in Jerusalem, delivers this gift to the Jerusalem church, uh, things kind of turn south for Paul, and he ends up getting arrested there in Jerusalem. And as he's arrested, the governor is trying to figure out why the Jews are so hostile towards and so incensed with Paul that it almost created a riot in the temple. So he's trying to figure that out. It doesn't go so well. It just keeps erupting into more hostility. And so the governor finally decides to take Paul out of Jerusalem, where things are just out of control, and Paul is just inflammatory there, and take him to the Roman capital in Caesarea. And so he does that, and he holds Paul in prison for, for two years. For two years, Luke tells us, hoping that Paul would pay him off, give him a bribe, maybe let him go. Uh, Paul doesn't do that. And so Paul sits uh, 60 miles away from Jerusalem in the Roman provincial capital of Caesarea, awaiting some outcome for his trial that just never quite materializes. Which means Luke is there in Israel where the events of Jesus' life took place for two years with Paul. Uh, and so Luke has traveled there. He's there. He takes the opportunity to talk to the eyewitness who were there, who saw the story. And so he talks with those eyewitnesses in Judea. Maybe he even interviewed Mary for the birth story because she's still alive at this point in time. So maybe he interviews her. Who knows? And he talks to various people and he gathers all his material. And then he writes his gospel. 
And then once he finishes his gospel, he, he figures it's time to actually do part two, the book of Acts. And who knows exactly when that happened, but Paul gets transferred from Caesarea to Rome and sits in prison for another two years in Rome. And so maybe it's during those two years that, that Luke pulls together the entire gospel or the entire story of the book of Acts uh, while he interviews Paul and Paul tells the story and he gets all this information from the eyewitnesses both for Acts and for Luke while Paul is spending four years under arrest. And Luke uses those years uh, to research and write Luke and Acts. All right, now how is Luke's gospel put together? Well, it includes four big parts. The first part is really just the foundations. The story begins, and that's from Luke 1 all the way through the middle of chapter 4. So from Luke 1, 1 to 4, 13, the story begins, and that's where you get the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus, the one little snapshot we have from Jesus' childhood years where Jesus stays behind in the temple. Um, then you get Jesus' baptism and fasting in the wilderness and preparations for ministry. That's the foundations of Luke's gospel. The story begins. The next big chunk is... Uh, from chapter 4, 14, all the way through 950. So from chapter 4, 14 through 950, you get Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And that, that section begins with Luke saying, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And that inaugurates his ministry. And so Luke's going to focus on Jesus' teaching and preaching around the villages and the towns of Galilee. And so that's the primary focus of that, the early part of Jesus' ministry in and around Galilee. Remember, Galilee is up in the north. And so the northern part around the Sea of Galilee, Jesus actually spends the majority of his ministry time up there. So Luke focuses on that in this big first uh, ministry section of the book from Luke 4.14 through 9.50. Then the third major part of Luke's gospel is from Luke 9.51 all the way to 1927, 951 to 1927. And it's really just sort of like on the way to Jerusalem. That's how to think about that section. Luke begins that section in 951 by saying, and Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. And so Luke has packaged that whole big section as Jesus is now getting ready to go to Jerusalem, meaning to go to Jerusalem, not for the first time, but for the final time before his crucifixion and resurrection. And so Lucas packages this long middle section of his gospel around Jesus heading towards Jerusalem with his face set towards Jerusalem. And so you get a lot of lessons on discipleship. The focus shifts from the crowd's to the 12, as Jesus really wants to make sure they're ready for ministry. Uh, you begin to get a sense of growing opposition in this middle section as hostility mounts towards uh, Jesus. And so the tension in the story mounts, and all of a sudden you're beginning to wonder, oh man, what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem? Jesus seems to think it's going to go really bad when he gets there, but it doesn't dissuade him, and he keeps going to Jerusalem. And, and so uh, you, you get this long travel section as Jesus prepares his disciples for what happens in Jerusalem, and as you get a growing sense that hostility is about to happen. And then part four of Luke's gospel is really the culmination in Jerusalem. So it's the final in Jerusalem moment. That's from Luke 19.28 to Luke 20.31. 
24:53 Jesus went on ahead going up to Jerusalem Luke 19:28 says and he teaches in the temple for several chapters and there's hostility there in that moment as well but he's he's sort of protected because the crowds are so so favorable towards him that the leadership's not sure what to do and then finally they come with their plan and and, and then you get his trial and arrest and death and all of that. And then in chapter 24, you get the grand finale, the resurrection and the vindication and actually exaltation of Jesus, where Luke tells not only that he's resurrected, but he's also exalted to the right hand of God himself. So that's the flow of the book. The story begins, and then ministry in Galilee, and then on the way to Jerusalem, and then the culmination in Jerusalem with the final week leading up to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so as you read Luke's gospel, Luke's news story about Jesus, he is presenting Jesus to you and to us as the Savior of all mankind. That Jesus is the one who inaugurates God's kingdom and has an open-door policy on God's kingdom where anybody and everybody can come into the very kingdom of God simply by placing their faith in Jesus himself. That's what Luke's gospel is all about.